You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Dead Air Nipe here with always. Typical Lydia. Thought I was trying to do like a lead in. It's yeah, I can hear it. I can... Typical Lydia. Yeah, what we need to do is splice in some like bowling pins exploding <laughs> in a full strike or something there. Yeah. <laughs> something to jazz up my intro. <laughs> you seriously could just record me saying my name and just plop it in every time. I'm just going to stop saying my name so you can do that. Why would I do that? For fun. I don't want to do more work. Keep you on your toes. <laughs> on today's show, we're going to be doing the 1990 horror science fiction hardware. I love this, actually. I do love this. And it's nice to discover a sci-fi horror that I really like a lot instead of everyone just hinging on Alien as the only sci-fi horror. Science fiction and horror have had a interesting relationship throughout the history of film. And like, literature. And literature. Oh, the man, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. And it's interesting because when I was a kid, I might have identified more as a science fiction fan, although I liked a lot of horror too. But no better example, in my opinion, is the early film from the Earth to the Moon, which I was always told was, look, it's one of the first films, it's science fiction. And then, as I got older and started to pay more attention to horror history, horror historians will be like, from, uh, uh, from Earth to the Moon, or a Trip to the Moon, is a horror movie, like a very early horror movie. And I'm like, really? And then, when you think about a strict definition of science fiction, it's basically anything that really requires science that doesn't actually exist. It doesn't really need to be in the future, and it doesn't need to incorporate aliens, although a lot of it does. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you were to take that definition, there's tons of science fiction and horror. Anything from, like, Frankenstein's monster, like, being brought to life through, like, weird technology. It's definitely a sci-fi horror. Reanimator, The Abyss. The Abyss. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Blob. Night of the Living Dead has a sci-fi angle of, like, radiation from a comet and stuff like that, bringing people to life. So there's tons of really early examples. And in the 1950s, science fiction was massive. And all horror, not all horror, but a lot of horror reflected that. And then we, of course, hit in the 1970s. And then Dan O'Bannon and Ridley Scott made Alien. And obviously that became... It was a slasher in space, and no one had really seen anything treated that seriously. And so, yeah, that is the kind of the go-to. A lot of people, that's the only one they can think of. Which which is fair, because it had the wide, it was widespread, it's super popular, it's very iconic, you know, like nothing but praise. But it's nice, as you said, to shine light on another sci-fi horror that... It doesn't have the budget, but it is just as interesting to watch, I think. And I love technology 
run amok movies. I've always loved that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is It's a little good. more horrific in a way, too, because when it comes down to science fiction and horror being one and the same, it depends on what scares you, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the 1950s sci-fi scared the hell out of people back then. Like, uh, you can read Ray Bradbury now, and he yeah. really is hard sci-fi, like, well, not hard sci-fi, but it really fits better into science fiction now. Mm-hmm. I always consider him a sci-fi horror author, and he definitely has horror stories. For sure. But a lot of his sort of muddier work, which is sci-fi horror, was far more horrific yeah. when it was first out. And now, because we have progressed technologically or just don't find those sorts of things scary. Mm-hmm. Hardware, though, has a lot of... It, it's fucking terrifying. There's a relentless foe, and he could be human or not, and he'd be just as fucking terrifying. Yeah. As dangerous as dropping your toaster in the bathtub while you're in it. I don't know why you're making toast while you're taking a bath, but I'm not here to judge. Only to say, that's dangerous and don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Just as lethal. Just as lethal, but there's no rhyme or reason. In the same way that you... I, I suppose the, the fact that a machine that is designed to kill doesn't care about you any more than uh, a tornado cares about destroying your house or an earthquake cares about leveling a city or anything like that. You can't be angry at the machine any more than you can be mad at the weather. Yeah. yeah. Because it doesn't care. It's, it's not personal. And that makes it terrifying because... Especially nowadays, when people are so afraid of random acts. People are so afraid of walking out their door and something happening to them because of just the world that we live in, the climate. Um, And of course, all these natural disasters are happening and all these acts of terror are happening. And so random acts of violence are just on people's consciousness. So I think like this movie being made in uh, 1990, again, telling people... Good horror exists in the 90s. Like, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, don't fucking pull this bullshit. It was like, no, there was no horror in the 90s. Fuck you. Hardware was in the, 90- in the 90s. And this is awesome. Yeah, it is a really awesome film. And yeah. maybe people should have a little more healthier respect for technology now. We're not afraid of technology like we used to be. There was yeah. a there was a machine in a Volkswagen plant not long ago that crushed a worker to death. Yeah. And I had to, like, repost it on social media because it was like, there, people, be afraid. Be very afraid. They're coming. <laughs> Get robot insurance. And maybe we should. We haven't had a film like this with technology running amok in a, in a while, have we? Nothing really like this. I mean, the Terminator franchises keep spitting out sequels. And that is a whole premise of, of technology trying to exterminate humanity. But you're still blaming the people. You know, you can blame the people. You can blame Umbrella Corporation. You're you're yeah. taking it back to the creators. Yeah. Um, this isn't as there's no one to really blame here, especially with the dystopian. You know, there's like a huge mistrust in this film of any sort of institution. Most intu- institutions have fragmented entirely, mm-hmm. so there's no real people to blame for this. Mm-hmm. There's no real government to blame for this. Not really. There's there is a government, and there are law enforcement, but at this point, you get the sense that. Everyone kind of understands that you're on your own. You're on your own. There's no fucking accountability, and you got to look up for number one. And there's no reason to blame anybody at all, and why question anything anyway? Mm-hmm. Just work on staying alive. 
So that's sort of established in the beginning. So there's no, you know, umbrella corporation to, to go blame. So in the end, it sort of comes back to something like where Maximum Overdrive, there yeah. is no person to blame. There is no institution to blame. The people aren't going to be held accountable for this. It's just going to fucking happen and it's a relentless force. Yeah, it's just we've built all of this stuff to make our lives convenient. How could the things that make our lives convenient or in the case in Maximum Overdrive, it's definitely like our means of conveyance and all technology really that it was made to make our lives easier has now turned on us. And in hardware, it's very much a sense of all the things that we're doing to to protect ourselves are now being turned against us. So Mark 13 was created to be an instrument in this war that has been going on, but it is indiscriminate in how it wants to follow its programming to the letter, which is all flesh shall be destroyed. Yeah, basically no flesh shall be spared. It's interesting. The only glitch in this system, so to speak is its weakness which we'll get into the glitch isn't that it's fucking killing people that's not a fucking glitch no it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing yeah um this movie i guess we'll get into the plot a little bit the we start off in this dystopian future it seems to have been victim of some kind of nuclear war yeah some sort of cost or fallout has come yeah there is an irradiated zone that scavengers go out and collect metal and whatever might be valuable they bring it back to city hubs and try to sell it at one point this very creepy guy looking like a fucking cover of a vertigo comic back in the 80s <laughs> a zone chipper <laughs> yeah He's a zone chipper he's nomad he finds the remains of the mark 13 amongst uh, some shotgun shells and uh corpse uh, buried in the sand i thought it was interesting that all like the bullet casings were above the sand but the mark 13 itself was in the sand but anyways he brings back the hand and he brings back the skull for lack of a better term the head yeah just a bag full of assorted giblets brings it back to what i guess is just a junk dealer yeah he's a fence a junk dealer some sort of yeah some sort of like wreckage yard salvage dude mm. alvi alvi yeah the little man he is a little man and and they were going for the idea that in this irradiated dystopian future people are being born with deformities far more often and that's very mad maxi that was incorporated in that world too but i mean it's an easy thing to play on if you're dealing with nuclear war the fallout of that then yeah you're gonna get yeah it's like a total recall sort of yeah 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 yeah. we're a generation into the fallout we we can travel off earth as well too so we probably have colonies that are safer or healthier i don't know um they're also working on um controlling our reproduction yeah so there's a lot of these different elements that are being brought to us in this movie from the beginning. But what I like about it is that it doesn't feel like exposition dumps. It seems really conversational. And if you're not really paying attention, you'll miss the details like they ha- they are, are a spacefaring people. You would miss that detail if you didn't listen to Shades very briefly say, 
no, I'm going to live off world. Yeah, every time I come back to Earth, I just want to leave again. And it's just little, like, it's those little, like, every single line is so packed. Yeah, and and, and I can see Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley, by the way, is the dude that directed this, and he wrote this. This is really his brainchild, and oh my God, what a brain he has. Uh, Anyone who's familiar with the dude, uh, quite the auteur, edgy auteur, which is a, a nice way of saying he's a fucking artsy fartsy weirdo. Um, who very famously did the adaptation. Almost did. <laughs> almost did. The very famously did the Island of Dr. Moreau based off of the book. I would have loved to have seen his vision for that. Imagine considering where hardware went, where Island of Dr. Moreau could have gone well, had, had he bu- remained. He had, he had a budget and he had... Ugh more mainstream actors who weren't dicks. Uh, if anyone's interested about the insane production story about that, there's a really cool documentary called Lost Soul yeah. on Netflix that will teach you all about Richard Stanley and the production of The Island of Dr. Moreau, the 1996 movie. And uh, just as a, as a little aside about that movie, I saw The Island of Dr. Moreau when I was a kid, and I didn't see the problems because I was a kid. So I watched the movie and I was like, eh. It wasn't one of my favorite movies, but it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, all right. Island of Dr. Moreau. I'd never heard of it before because I was a little kid. I'd never seen The Island of Lost Souls or anything like that. I'd never read the book because I'm a doofus and I don't read. (laughs) I'd read the book. Me and my parents watched it and it was sort of like a meh reaction. Yeah, it was... was, I thought it was fine, I guess. And so when I heard about the documentary coming out and you, as like one of the most plagued productions and one of the biggest like cinematic disasters... And you're like, like, really? I was like, really? No shit. Really? And then when I watched the documentary, I really felt for the guy because... Oh shit, Because he was such... He had such ideas and he's... You can tell that he's a really artistic guy and sometimes artistic people who want to create something and are thrown up against everything like i can't even say he like, was up against the industry he was an artist up against the industry which it, happens in music it happens in art it happens it, in film it, it does but i mean for fuck's sake like it's more it was more than the industry i almost feel like if it was production notes if it, if it was studio heads saying like ah would, would you try this and would you want to try that i almost feel like he would have been able to wrestle that and he would have yeah. been able to deal with that but on, on top of the actress he had to deal with and the weather oh my god and and so him kind of losing his shit and just vanishing li- like living in the wilderness yeah yeah and and so when you hear about all the, the crazy things this guy did through that documentary which i highly recommend and then you go back and you watch hardware you're like oh man this definitely was a really creative guy with a lot of creative ideas so and and you'd like to think that Shay would have just been like, you know what, we'll let him run with it because he, it's going to come out awesome no matter what. It's going to be a beautiful film if we just let this guy do whatever he wants, just keep throwing fucking money at him. And I don't think that was the problem. Um, it was everyone around him. If you really want to see more Richard Stanley, just hang tight because he's working on uh, adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. Yeah, that should be really interesting. Yeah, and I think if anyone can really pull off that sort of vision and and really adapt Lovecraft for the screen, he might be able to. He's one of the few people that I'm thinking, you know, he might have a shot at doing this properly. Yeah, 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 definitely the guy for it. Yeah. So, back to these junk dealers. 
we're introduced to Moses and Shades and the tra- uh, uh, the the junk dealer kind of goes into the back room he's going to go check some shit and so this drifter who found the Mark 13 parts is selling it to them for some reason for some reason he knows that they're not the people that handle this business but he's he's content to deal with them anyway. No, but they're in there, and who knows? He could be thinking, you know, these are guys that work here for the guy or something. And that barter and trade, mm-hmm. uh, you know, selling things amongst other nomads and collectors and scavengers is pretty normal, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so I thought I it was think it interesting was that they were using currency. I felt like in that, I, I was like... It could be the world that they present initially, I'm like, oh, this is a total fucking hellhole. So, like, money probably has... They would probably trade in resources or, or something like that. Maybe and then, trade cigarettes for it? So, oh, cigarettes or, or water or something. Yeah, I, I just I just assumed. And then when I saw them exchanging money, I was like, oh, so you realize that there is a semblance of... Uh, there has to be a government. Because some, so, yeah, because the, that's who... Uh, the, Moses works for yeah sort of. a, a, a military he's kind of guy um so this drifter who's super scary uh, he's super intense you think he, so oh hell yeah he came in there looking like he uh, almost like he knows something uh, to me it, it seemed as though the, it was just the tight shots on his face and the super intense eyes. I think it's just the amount of mushrooms the guy's on. <laughs> Literally. See the color of his eyes? I don't think that color exists. It's the color of his face right there. It's ochre. No one has ochre eyes. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. I didn't find him scary, but I did find him very, you know, this is what the maker culture, cyberpunk, steampunk look is yeah. really going for. They got it really dialed in, you know, 10 years before maker culture became popular yeah and and cyberpunk and maker is a culture is very great way to to describe this yeah he's straight out of um you know i'd have this right up there and him particularly right up there with someone out of the william gibson books like virtual light and neuromancer it's really where that idea of cyberpunk is being shaped Mm -hmm. with an even bigger infusion of steampunk with this guy Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, because it's that whole like futuristic yet retro look. So I didn't find him scary. He's sort of like a gunslinger in a way. Maybe I've read too just, much Dark Tower. Maybe he yeah. just seemed like a very intense dude to me. I'll give him I'll at least admit that that he's. Well, Mo was used to him, and maybe that warmed me up to him because Mo and Shades were just like some fella. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shades is a super chill dude. Oh, he's too chill, maybe. maybe perhaps too yeah. chill. Mo decides that this head, which they can't really identify, they seem that it, they seem to think that it might be some kind of a maintenance droid. Mm-hmm. But they're not entirely sure. They don't view it as being too interesting. They certainly never heard of it before, which I thought was interesting. Mo being in the military and this junk dealer being so. Like prevalent, like I, I mean, like I would assume he would be an extra. But again, this is a very new piece of technology. It is a new piece of technology, and remember, we're dealing with not a small world anymore. Mm-hmm. We have our insular Earth still, mm-hmm. as ravaged and destroyed as it is, but we also have off-world. So yeah. it could be technology that he just hasn't heard of because he's been off-world for quite some time. Mm, it's true. 
So he decides that he's going to bring it back to his lady, Jill. Jill, who uh, you don't know, you don't know her, man. Like she's going to love this. Well, why? What are you going to do with that? Well, we're introduced to Jill. It's almost. It's also Christmas. I got to point this out. This is a Christmas movie. I was fucking beside myself when I saw that. That it was taking place at Christmas. And they even use carols here and there. Yeah, and people in the street trying to sell little Christmas trees. Yeah, fucking adorable. So this is a Christmas movie coming up to Christmas. Yeah, we're on that Christmas creep. Yeah. And so we're doing one a little early. Yeah, more or less. (laughs) So he buys it for Jill for Christmas. Yeah. And then we're brought to her apartment. And I want to point out that it's cool to me that they're really playing on the security of individual buildings. Because she's just in an apartment building, or what would count as an apartment building in this day and age. And it's got its own security team. It's got these, every like your door is like this industrial powered, like two giant metal doors, like out of a fucking space station or something like that. It's a fucking huge vault. You live in a fucking vault. Yeah, it was like good, I was... And, and she has to grant video access. She has to see someone's face and then, like, type in a code to unlock her door to let somebody in. I was like, geez, this is fucking high security. Dream home. <laughs> Dream, Dream home. <laughs> Dream yeah. home. And I don't know if he was playing up to our burgeoning paranoia and how maybe it would get to that point. Early 90s when this was going on there was still the the urban decay would get to the point where people who had the ability to have secure buildings would essentially live in vaults it reminds me of the whole creep show bugs thing as far as the high security mm. yeah because he does the same thing i forget what that short was called but i think it was called bugs um but the reason why I want to mention the security door is because it comes into play later into the movie. Well, they, they also drive it home how important it is because, like, she has this heightened security that you've been introduced to. And then they introduce you to the rest of the fucking building as Mo and Shades are walking through it. And it's like someone had joyridden through the fucking foyer and it's, like, destroyed. And there are, like, people selling black market goods in the foyer, which yeah. doesn't happen in the foyer of most apartment buildings I'm familiar with. There's, like, a butcher there. Yeah. He's just hacking at me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a fucking, it's a street vendors and black market shit and like probably drug deals and prostitution, all sorts of fucking fucked up shit going on in her foyer. Yeah. Um, And she seems to be a pretty regular, you know, self-sustained citizen, but this is her foyer. And then they go up a few steps and there's like a dead lady with a fucking baby tethered to her. Um, And I just like would assume that it's like a drug overdose or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So just horrible. And they sort of just walk past that like it's normal. So this is the building she lives in. Of course it has fucking video security and a security team and doors that lock like vaults. Yeah. She's got downstairs neighbors that don't like her being so noisy. And again, another reflection of just a, a fairly regular family, a very average family living below her. Yeah. So very painfully average, but they yeah. live in this building too with the butcher and like vendors in the foyer that someone drove a car through and dead junkies in the hallways. Mm-hmm. You also get a lot of hints from the city through the architecture, through the signage, through the people that you see that it's a quite the cultural mosaic. It's like like a, a melting pot. It's not just like, oh, here's nothing but white people. Yeah, no, it's another dystopian, futuristic cyberpunk goal, yeah. as it were, to have this cultural melting pot where the whole 
world has absolutely no culture, no distinct culture whatsoever. It's just this melting pot culture. Mm-hmm. So the music on hardware, pretty crazy. <laughs> well, it speaks to that cyberpunk 1990s, early 2000 thing where everyone was listening to futuristic sounding industrial music. It's true, but like the whole idea of the film, what I couldn't get past was like this whole place is just very rock and roll, right? Very metal. And, you know, like, they're fucking like the, the taxi driver's like, yeah, I heard this tune. It's like fucking playing the Ace of Spades and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And then to drive it home, they have some Ministry and Guar played over one over the other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did, I did recognize the Guar. I was like, oh, is that a fucking Guar video? As soon as that Ministry song, it was Stigmata started, I was like, oh shit, I love this. And then I was like, wait a second, that is so not Ministry. <laughs> but yeah, it's that pastiche of old and new. Yeah, and it definitely speaks to the whole theme of the movie. And also, I was kind of getting the feeling that it was probably what, you know, the director was really into. I could feel like, it's yeah, I like all these these, these songs. I like this vibe. I mean, he wrote it. And I'm sure he cherry-picked the songs. That and, like, operatic arias. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, Public Image Limited, I suppose, did the uh, opening theme. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a more British punk contemporary. Yeah, the absolutely. Time. Yeah, which is more fitting with the director than I think Guar and Ministry would be. It's surprising just with, like, the cyberpunk themes and all of the music. I'm just surprised that this movie isn't even bigger than it is. I know that it has, like, a cult following, but I'm surprised that it's just not more in the forefront. When yeah. people are talking about punk horror, especially, like, sci-fi punk horror, like, why isn't this movie getting mentioned all the time? It's a small cult. Yeah. It's got a cult following, but it's a really tiny cult. Yeah. Yeah, there's a cult following apparently for a human centipede too, but it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, you can't throw a stone without hitting one of them, that cult member. Yeah. Hardware, yeah, not so much. Yeah, and definitely more people should be talking about it. Hmm, true. Well, when Jill lets them in finally, she doesn't really seem too happy to see Mo. For a dude that's saying, oh, I'm going to get my lady... A Christmas gift, and you're like, oh, yeah, there you go, nice little couple. Oh, they're, they're, they look good together, I guess. She doesn't really seem happy to see him. She seems like she's doesn't even really want to let him in, and then she does, and then... Well, he's fucking filthy. Look at him. He's pretty gross. He's fucking gross. He, he must smell. This is my inner West coming out. He must smell like yeah. fucking ass. Axel grease and baby shit. He definitely looks like he's covered in axle grease, especially when... Later on, he's taking a shower, and it doesn't seem like any of that's coming off. It's fucking disgusting. Gross. I wouldn't want to let him in either, even with a fucking, like, radium sensor or whatever the hell she has there. Yeah, like that was... rad count. That was CCM. interesting. She was taking the rad count to yeah. see if they were radiated or not. She doesn't want to let him in if they are. Nah, she probably would, too. You know what? They seem to get along. But... I mean, I'm sure military much. girlfriends could relate to this whole, you know, you go away for six months. She seems to like his buddy Shades a lot more. Yeah, he lives in the building. Now, I got that too, definitely. Um, especially the look she gives him, just sort of like, oh, this is awkward. I definitely got the vibe. Like, when I saw that that first interaction between Shades, by the way, he's named Shades because he's just wearing giant sunglasses the entire time. Like fucking Max Headroom or something. He's so cool. He's super cool. And I submit that... We're going to take my nickname of Slick away, and you have to start calling me Shades. You don't wear shades, though. It's an ironic nickname. It'll be, I'm ironically called Shades. I can't do it. You're going to stick to Slick? Yeah. You said that as you pushed your glasses up. <laughs> the I could get the little clip-on sunglasses 
over top of my glasses. And you can call me shades. What do you think? I try not to. <laughs> so, yeah. No, shades definitely. It could just be, you know, if I'm going to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. He lives in the building. Mm-hmm. She sees him a lot more often. Yeah. He's a lot more friendly. He's fucking tooled to the max on hallucinogens 24-7. So, of course, he's easier to talk to. Yeah. I just I just initially got the vibe I was, that I thought was going to be a plot point later. So did I. Oh, I bet they slept together. At least once. Or every weekend. Or every weekend when he's away or something like that. They seem to genuinely like each other. And then when she finally relents and when Mo gives her her scrap metal, she's an artist. She likes to weld metal together and make sculptures and stuff like that. So when he gives her the head and, and all the other little bits and pieces... She's happy and then embraces them and they kiss and and Shades kind of just slinks, slinks, he's like, slink away, Shades, slink away. And he just leaves and, I mean, you can't see his eyes because he's got the big sunglasses on, but I felt like he looked genuinely downtrodden. I didn't. I think he was just like, I will, I refuse to be a cock blocker here. I am going to just. Oh, you think he's being a good bro? He's totally. Yeah. I wouldn't say bro, but... And then we're treated yeah. to some, some 90s sex scenes. And I call them 90s sex scenes because it's got some slow music going, and it's got something that resembles lovemaking, but actually just might be really slow, like, petting. It yeah. doesn't really look like any kind of sex act. And even him... And the multicolored lights. And the multicolored lights. Yeah. And even him where they... Because they start off in the shower... And he's got, like, a robot hand, and he's, like, covered in axle grease. And the robot hand, I mean, look, they didn't have a lot of money for this flick. So the robot hand is literally it's just... massive. It, it, it looks like he's wearing, like, a big cartoon glove. Yeah. And he's like, it's my robot hand. And and he's just sort of, just, like, his eyes closed, and he's, like, sort of... He's like, take a shower. Nobody showers like that. Nobody sensually... He, he He's just waiting for her to show up, and then he does, and he's like, oh. The touch of a woman. I always say that about when they show women showering in film. Because, yeah. like, no one fucking showers like that. Showering is not that sexy. Thank you. Yeah. I basically, if anyone ever wanted to imagine what I'm like showering, I basically have my entire weight leaned on the wall with my head down, just like, fuck. Taking a piss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to burden you, toilet. so anyway i'll just let it let them all pitch a new showering oh shit for a while with like slow 90s music playing multicolored multicolored lighting it goes from like blue so much steam so much steam that you should be screaming in pain nipples percolating Listeners, you can't see the sensual body motions. No, they can that probably hear it though. All that scuffling and shuffling around <laughs> while you soap up your man bits. I know, right? Yes. Yeah. So they have sex, and we're treated. Treated. We <laughs> we're treated all right. We're shown that she's got a bit of a peeping tom problem. Thank God, because it breaks up this sex scene. And this sex scene, fuck my life, man. I. Watch this film. My parents rented it ages ago when it came out on uh, VHS. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was right. 
They watched it probably 12 times that weekend because it's a great fucking movie. Like, mm-hmm. it is literally a great fucking movie. So, of course, they watched it over and over again. And I caught it here and there. And I had sat down with them to watch it at least one point through. And that sex scene... Goes on for a bit. It goes on for a bit. And <laughs> it's kind of hot, whatever. But... I didn't know. I cover my eyes, and then the neighbor starts talking. And then I cover my ears, and then I cover my eyes. I'm like, one eye, one ear. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, totally awkward until finally I'm just like this quivering wreck of like, oh, my God, I'm watching this and hearing this fucked up shit with my parents in the room. And my dad's like, it's over, Lydia. (laughs) Which also happened when we watched Excalibur uh, when I was younger, too, for that sex scene. I think. Like anyone, a little fucking weirded out. Although I can watch Legend of the Overfiend with my parents. And have no real reaction with the giant Nazi rape machine. But that scene, it was because of the shit he was saying. Uh, Later on, he has some obscene phone calls. This Lincoln character, the peeping Tom neighbor, that rival and and better, they wait far better, uh, Black Christmas obscene phone calls. Yeah, because in Black Christmas, the voice is like, oh, pretty pussy. Like, it's ridiculous. It is. But this guy... Is oh, I'm gonna f- I'm gonna fuck you in the ass and fill you up. I'm like, you ready for the Hershey Highway? Oh my god! Like, ew, yeah, ew. And we we see him and the shit he's saying while they're fucking. He's watching them and the shit he's saying is fucking vile. It's, it's super vile. vile. He's sweaty and gross, and it's close up on his gross, slimy face. If he would have been eating something, I might have thrown up in my mouth just a little bit. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's awful. And he's got all this high-powered surveillance equipment and, like, but also, like, like fucking beakers and shit in his apartment. I'm like, what is this guy? I like that he's wearing uh, surgical gloves while he's taking photos. Oh, yeah. Just in case, I guess. I don't know. Because he puts them on later to take photos, which mm, is just weird. He's, he's wearing them the whole time when he's over at her place and we're skipping ahead or anything like that. But back to what you were saying about... Watching uh, a sex scene with your parents with vile shipping said, I think every kid's been there, or most kids, where we've been watching a movie and, uh-oh, maybe they didn't realize there was nudity in it. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between a sex scene in a traditional mainstream film and yeah. a sex scene <clears throat> like the sex scene in Hardware and the yeah. stuff that Link is saying. Yeah, he's definitely saying some shit. But I think that awkwardness never goes away. I was recently watching Hellraiser with my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'd never seen it before. And I completely forgot about, oh, there's like some weird sex in it. Yeah, yeah. And and I was watching it with my mom. I still felt a little uncomfortable. I was like, I'm an adult. She's an adult. We're two adults. Um, but I was like, uh I could watch Hellraiser with my parents easy. I watched, um, even though it's puppet sex, like uh, Team America World Police, and the un- <laughs> like the unedited, like the extended bit there. I saw that. Yeah, I watched that with my dad, and we had a laugh riot. Yeah, it's... Uh, that wasn't awkward, but this, I think it's because it's, it's... It's the shit that he's saying. Yeah, and it's fairly guttural rutting. Like, they're they're having sex. They're yeah. fucking. They're, they're not making love, really. Mm-hmm. They are... They're straight up fucking. Although no doggy, I feel like that's like when you when you're like here's here's that's like, porn though. Is it though? Because they they had like a, <laughs> Halle Berry did it and she got an Oscar. Okay. Okay. So I so I but so like it, it, it I was just my point I guess I was like it's movie sex enough 
Because it's like missionary and lady on top. Yeah. Which I feel are very like movie sex positions. Yeah, yeah. Very 90s sex too. Because oh, on top of my saying that is guttural, rutting, and fucking, it is all sexy and it's got sexy music. Sexy music, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move off of this and... No, no, let's talk about fucking let's, let's a little talk, longer. Let's talk about the sex scene in hardware for, oh, another 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> about as long as the fucking scene lasts. Yeah, especially, I guess, if you're watching with your parents, it would seem like that would go on forever. Yeah. So we're introduced to our cast of characters. All of our players have pretty much been brought to us at this point, except for one notable difference. We're missing, uh, we're missing uh, a certain character. We're missing Mr. Hardware himself, the Mark 13. He is He's not... currently strapped to an art piece on the wall. Yeah, which I loved her waking up in the middle of the night, turning on a fucking blowtorch and grinding shit together and working metal. And like Buddy is just, I'm asleep. He's totally asleep. Yeah, I, I, the neighbor, I like that. Where the neighbor way. is like, do, 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 stop being noisy up there. He probably hasn't slept for six fucking months, right? Oh, maybe. He's been out in the zone. Yeah, Doing whatever true. he does. Um, as much as I like this hardcore chick artist person, blowtorching the hell out of metal and, and fucking Barbie dolls, yeah, I, a part true. of me always, like, there's something just doesn't sit right with me a lot of times when they show artists on in film. Uh, because it's like, this is all artists do. They don't sleep. They stay up at four in the morning. They're drugged out of their mind. And they loll about in fucking bedclothes all the time. They never eat food, either. And they just make art, you know. And this is what, what their inspiration consists of, mm-hmm. is being isolated on drugs <laughs> up late at night, not eating food. And they're just yeah. so artsy. Yeah. It well, always she's... just sits kind of weirdly with me. But I like what she's creating yeah. and the way she's creating it. She's smoking. Uh, she's smoking weed a lot. Yeah. She's got. Uh, she's got, and it's it's a uh, fucking. You buy it. The sanctioned you, weed. Yeah. The, the sanctioned weed is general good vibes <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty great, and I was like, man, that's it, where we're heading. Yeah, that's we'll where be we're there. heading. Like right now, we'll be there. I was like, Richard Stanley called it. He's yeah. like, this is going to be illegal. He probably figured it would happen ten years ago. Probably. But, yeah. Didn't we all? Um. So she decides to, after listening to a lot of broadcasts, that's the interesting thing about this film, one of the many interesting things, is as much as the culture has advanced, there are things that existed, particularly when Richard Stanley was doing this, that still exist at that point. So when you're looking at a television, you're looking at a shitty television with broadcast quality out of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And when you're listening to a radio guy, Angry Bob, Iggy Pop himself, it's very much like, oh, God. Honestly, like, when the movie opens with a guy in the radio and, like, they're kind of walking around and people are listening to the radio, I was just like, fuck, who listens to the radio? Yeah. It's one of those things that is carried over. In a way. But now, of course, because that's the thing with sci-fi is that we they they can't foresee the little skip in technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, if he were really a futurist, then he would have alluded to it being some sort of webcast. Yeah. Like we're on right now. Yeah. But, yeah, so because there was that mix of lo-fi, hi-fi here, no-fi, 
where we're looking at things like analog clocks projected digitally. Yeah. It happens a couple times in this film where there's things that are extremely low tech mm-hmm. that are mixed with the high tech. And that it just it just works with this weird mix match dystopian planet that we're all trapped yeah. on. Yeah, like all the monitors with like fucking vector graphics on them and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, so sure, it's a radio and it's a radio station and it's broadcasting via radio because it's reliable technology. Mm, there's that. All right. Like the mimeograph. Oh, mm-hmm. you just fucking like schooled me. Yeah, totes. <laughs> so yeah, I like Angry Bob too. Um, and that it just sort of projects a little more of this normalcy because that's something that people were still listening to the radio regularly mm-hmm. when this film came out, right? So We found out that the government is attempting to push a sterilization program to cure the population on Earth. They're going to find people that have too many children or children without permission, and they're going to stop people that are carrying too much radiation and are more likely to produce mutants from creating children at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm fine with that. <laughs> we should have sterilization centers. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. For me, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> I'd, I'd go. <laughs> you can you can get sterilized. I yeah, get but sterilized. Like, I, I'd like a free sterilization, sterilization center. It's like getting your dog neutered. It's like getting your, your pet rabies shots. We should all just go in and get sterilized. I'm going to be handy. Hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a way to go. But, of course, it, because this is not a film made for me or by me, this is also something that creates a bit of contention. This is a, a 1984 problem. This mm. is um, one of those things that people fear in mm-hmm. the future, right? Yeah. At this point, um, uh, uh, China already had the one-child law in effect. That, 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 that sort of started coming out of the country in the 70s or 80s or something. I can't remember. But uh, So maybe like Richard Stanley was aware of that, and he thought that, oh, well, maybe in the future if population or mutants or something gets out of control it's not unbelievable that this government the shadowy government would be like yeah sterilization or something like that yeah yeah and a way to control this like unbelievable sickness too and it's just a common trope used in science fiction yeah is that we're going to take all your rights away even reproductive rights Mm -hmm. so mo and jill have some conversations while she's finished her art piece which is taking the head of the mark 13 putting the stars and stripes on it putting it in the center of the piece that she was working on melting a bunch of plastic dolls it's a personal statement and what i dug about it was she said the most artist thing i've ever fucking heard was that it's not for anybody it's for me (laughs) indicating that she doesn't want to sell this piece and she doesn't care if other people don't get it That's hardcore. That's always my comment about monetizing your talent, where people try to knock corporate undertakings and, like, big business when it comes to film and music and industry and all that kind of stuff. But And I'm saying, like, well, come on, man. Like, everyone is trying to... Every artist who's trying to be professionally an artist wants to monetize their talent in some way. They have to. And, like, hardcore artists are the people that are performing for themselves or maybe their family... And like legitimately don't care about making any type of money. He indicates that she's on welfare and he is the breadwinner in this weird relationship. Although it's hard. She to... has money coming in because she explains to Shade some other avenue of income. <clears throat> so it stands he... to reason that she doesn't care about monetizing her art. No, exactly. And she has that. She <clears throat> throws out the line strictly. 
Yeah. That she doesn't, this this piece isn't for anybody, it's for me. And he says, well, maybe, I just thought maybe you could, like. Sell some fucking art. Sell some art. Because he, the, the, the financial strains going on in this relationship, which is weird because, I mean, yeah, they're sleeping together, but she doesn't seem that into him, honestly. No, but they do talk a little bit about the future and stuff like that. They do sort of toss around conversation about their future mutant children and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So they have had these conversations and they've been at this quite some time too. Yeah, it could definitely. just be this familiarity breeding contempt within their relationship. They've been together for that amount of time that they're starting to get a little bit, you know, yeah. odd couple Yeah, it's like they care about each other, but it's at this weird point in the relationship where I fucking love you, but I want to strangle the damn life out of you sometimes. Jesus, Wes. Well, I'm not saying that's me. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's where they're at. Yeah. I've never been there. I swear that that's where people, most people go. And that's where they stay, unfortunately. So that's where they're <laughs> destined, unfortunately. Maybe she sees it coming and that's why her coldness toward him she throws is out bubbling the, up. She throws out the line to saying that it's unfair to bring children into this world, which is a very fair it's thing to say. Stupid, sadistic, and suicidal to have children right now is what she says. Oh. And that stands <laughs> today. <laughs> and it was stupid, sadistic, and suicidal in some places at that time, too. Yeah. I'm sure they're only projecting into the future. What will be even more? The three S's. Stupid, <laughs> suicidal, and sadistic to have children. <laughs> and that's her point. And, you know, Mo sort of reluctantly agrees with saying later uh, that he had stopped thinking about having children a long time ago. And he gives her a bit of stink eye. Yeah, because... And I, and no I was, doubt they've had this conversation before. For sure. And he's all like, well, I want, to, I want to have kids and you'd be my wife and everything proper. It's always the dude. And she's like, I don't need you. Yeah, I'm exactly. my own woman. And so when I saw that conversation in the movie, I was like, this seems very real to me. Yeah, it does. It, it, does. it seems like a, a very... Because he seems super bitter about the fact that... She's just not into that. Yeah, she doesn't want to have kids because... And, and she makes a fucking valid argument. Look at the hellscape they live in. <laughs> yeah. Look at the foyer. Just go down to the Look. foyer. Look at the baby in the fucking third floor hallway that's tethered to the dead lady. Yeah. That's that's where we're headed. That's not even where we're headed. That's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. What? Who wants to have kids? With not no them. with with no end in sight. Like where's oh, yeah. the respite from that that they're ever going to get? There's no silver lining in any of the situation. And really it's about people just trying to survive in this world and like accepting yeah this is the way it is yeah the government's gonna be like this yeah everything sucks yeah unemployment rate is to the roof yeah everything's irradiated and polluted beyond belief but what can you do go off world that's go off world yeah maybe try to find something better for you probably exactly the same so this whole time while she's creating this art what she doesn't know, the what the junk dealer Aldi is researching at this moment, because he was interested in this, and he still has parts of it. Mm-hmm. He did buy some parts of the Mark Thirteen. <clears throat> was was that the what the Mark Thirteen really is? Is not a maintenance droid. It is a sex machine. It's not, it's not that either. Although, what it is is a piece of military equipment. It is designed specifically to kill. It is. Like a military unit, like a repl- like a, a replacement for soldiers or something. It's a death machine, yep. is what it is. It's got a lot of really cool tricks to it. One is that it can rebuild itself if it's damaged. Now, 
it's strange because it activates the 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 headpiece itself seems to be its source of power and a source of consciousness for lack of a better word and it's watching them and they don't know that it's watching them because why would you assume that this broken head that you brought back works and so while they're talking while they're having sex while they're just kind of being this weird dysfunctional couple it's watching them the whole time and recording everything they say and it's really kind of no different than her voyeuristic neighbor that's watching and recording everything they say and do as well it's true it's kind of a cool i'd like to have some some uh, feminist social commentary on that if someone out there had anything to say about that particular aspect of this film because i'm not equipped really to dig into that but there is a lot to say about her character being watched the way that she's being watched Mm -hmm. um it's sort of like almost in a gothic romance style as well too so there's a lot of really cool subtlety going on with that aspect of this film but um i think also the technology just and i can hardly kind of wrap my head around it too because i don't think this technology necessarily exists it's like a holographic framework to the mark 13 where every single part of it has a power source and memory mm-hmm. and drive and motor capability every single part of it so that's why it can rebuild itself sort of like a possessed zombie corpse in dead alive or something yeah. even the individual parts <clears throat> still have drive locomotion and the ability to find its other parts and rejoin mm-hmm. or make n- new parts out of the scrap metal that Jill has around her apartment, which of course she's a, a, a metal worker. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of discarded shit like doodads and wires and everything mm-hmm. at every point. And it seems to be able to activate things and start rebuilding itself. And it's doing that while she goes back to bed after she finishes her piece. And at this point, Mo gets a call from Alvi, who realizes what this is and that it's valuable because it is a piece of experimental technology. They could get a lot of fucking cash for it. So he wants him to meet him back at his junk dealer place. And he wants him to bring the Mark 13 with him. Yeah. I I think that would put Mo in a bit of a bind. And you see it. He's like, well, I gave it to my girlfriend. Yeah, it's already painted up and stuck in the sculpture. So it's not happening. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, like, my girlfriend didn't want to see me. And then I gave her these Christmas presents. And then she likes me again. And you really want, you literally want me to rip rip her art piece apart and bring this head to you? He's like, it was super reluctant, but he agrees to go. He doesn't take the Mark 13's head with him. And by the time he gets to Alvi, well, he's already dead. Yeah. And we learn that one of the things that the Mark 13 does is it has the ability to inject a neurotoxin into somebody's body. And even the hand has it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's equipped with these... Uh deadly needles that also have a hallucinogen in them as well so this neurotoxin much like the i think it's a brown recluse spider that has the same yes thing 
um, where you feel pretty damn good while you're dying. <laughs> it's kind of a fun trick. And he, you also learn some of its weaknesses and why it was pulled off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has a, a weakness in its insulation, right? Yeah. And it can't res- resist water damage. Yeah. Which is so fucking, you know, just put it in a cup of rice, man, overnight. It's good to go. <laughs> you know, let it dry out. This... Uh, sorry, when uh, when Mo realizes it's called the Mark Thirteen, the one thing about this movie where you really see Richard Stanley's hand in it, and and maybe I'm only saying this because I did see the Lost Souls documentary, and so I got a window into his personality type of dude he is, and so Mo goes back and checks a Bible that he's just like Mark Thirteen. Like in the Bible? Well, and he's also, but his name is Moses, right? So he's probably just always going back to this. I know people that have some biblical names that know more about the saints than anyone should, considering they're not Catholic. Yeah. Well, there's no indication to me that he's religious in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying that even Richard Stanley is. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that there is a lot of reference to religion. Oh, for sure. Either shades and jill meditating in front of an image of kali Mm -hmm. or the character the one of the main characters being named moses the fact that it's called the mark 13 and what mark 13 says in the bible Mm -hmm. even the fact that alvi references narcissists like that's yeah right at the beginning and and i was like come i was like i don't buy for a second that this guy knows who that is I do, because I've got nothing better to do but read fucking books, because that's another reliable technology that seems to have persisted. Yeah. That he's carrying a Bible around still, and he doesn't have it on some sort of fucking data pack, like, cell phone little e-reader thing. Yeah. Books and radio are this reliable technology, right? That is the number one conveyor of important information. Mm -hmm. I mean, information you can trust, right? So it doesn't strike me as odd. Also, I've just read enough William Gibson where all these things, this is like big cultural milieu of the ancient and the futuristic. So, of course, they're going to look for ties to things like ancient religion, in the hyper-technological and futuristic. So maybe that's it. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's that sort of mishmash of the cyberpunk genre that basically is the cyberpunk genre. And something that makes you feel at home in it. A little more at home than you would in a hard sci-fi. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I like the Alvi scene and a lot, like the Alvi's uh, body discovery scene because you get the feedback the the playback of what we've already heard so it's really driven home that we know its weakness mo knows its weakness alvi had learned its weakness everyone seems to know its weakness except jill who's trapped with it right now because then if the like it does become apparent that he needs to get back there in a hurry he needs to save her he makes a phone call right away and can't get through where mm-hmm. we actually see the Mark 13 has become sentient. It's rebuilt itself by this point yeah. and intercepts the phone call. Yeah. So now we're like halfway through the movie and time is of the essence already all of a sudden. Jill's life is threatened. We don't know that. Or she doesn't know that yet. Now nah, she's sleeping like a baby. Yeah, she's stoned out of her mind. She's got yeah. a joint burning down to her fingertips, which is, yeah. I was like, that's not safe, Jill. Extinguish cigarettes. Drugs are bad, okay? Well, I was, I was more like just going to sleep with a burning, with a lit cigarette in your hand. 
is just a bad, that's bad news, man. Just well, she's put... maybe relying on technology. The house pretty much runs itself. It's like the the junky version of a smart home. So maybe the sprinklers turn on every time she falls asleep stone with a joint in her hand. <laughs> he contacts Shades, who is just been meditating for hours. On acid. Like, no fucking help at all. Tripping fucking balls. Could you imagine something more frustrating than... Your girlfriend is in trouble for, like, her life is in danger. The closest person that you can trust to her that you have access to call is out of his fucking mind on drugs. That's why I can't stand drunk people. (laughs) They're not reliable. When you need somebody to go and save somebody else at three in the morning, who are you going to call? Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's kind of funny, too. It is a good comic relief. Shades does provide that, if anything, is comic relief. Yeah. On the phone with his panicking friend, and he's petting a fucking butterfly stencil on his window, crooning <laughs> about how beautiful it is. Of course he is. Always wearing the sunglasses. Thank God, or else his name wouldn't work. <laughs> there is some super eye-heavy shit going on in this film, so I'm glad that he never takes off his sunglasses. I don't think we see his eyes at all, at all, at You all. don't? And I like that. Gives you something to think about. It is kind of cool. Yeah. I guess. No, it really fits into that artsy, drug-swilling, Karen about nothing, aimless, shopping bag blowing around in the breeze of a parking lot kind of guy that he is. True. He's pretty chill. Maybe too chill. Too chill. Obviously, he can't even, he's like, let me just get my trousers on and falls into his beanbag chair. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, that's the end of Shades. Yeah. Um, Everyone has a stoner friend that's that stoner that... You can really relate to him there, I think. So Jill's asleep, and while she is, the Mark 13 is slowly bringing its its claw over top of her and then pulls it away. And my knee-jerk reaction to that was, well, why doesn't it just kill her? I don't understand. Yeah, because it's armed itself. It's scuttled it, around rebuilding itself, and it's armed itself, and it's it, after her. Yeah, it's ready to go. It's got its buzz saws and all this other little shit on top of it. It's a weird-looking robot. It's got, like, a weird uh, profile, you could say. (laughs) Like, it's just because it's, like, a head and a long neck, and then the neck has a bend in it, and it goes to this sort of, like, domey little stumpy body with little feet and little arms. It's it's just a lot of neck. It did what it could, man. It did what it could. It's kind of like a short circuit. It's like the number five in short circuit, but way cooler looking. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Short circuit would be a really different movie. Oh, I'd love to take Mark 13 and splice in some fucking Mark 13 into short circuit. Oh, that'd be so funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the who's going to come to a rescue? Who who even knows that she's in danger? Shades is way too stoned to even make it in the door. Yeah. Well, the greasy, slippery, ooey, gooey pervert that watches her constantly sees that this robot is going to get her and it she wakes up with the with the marijuana joint cigarette so, the marijuana cigarette the marijuana cigarette I sound like a fucking dork it's funny that's what it is it's a marijuana cigarette straight out of the 50s yeah it's a marijuana cigarette out of the 50s that wakes her up and as it does well the thing swipes at the bed shreds it instantly and then she wants to get the fuck out 
She's scared, terrified of it, obviously. She's got a little blowtorch. And she doesn't know what to do. Well, then the fucking creeper gets into her room. But how does he do that? Well, we get a bit of information. This pervert's named as Lincoln. And he installed security systems for everything. And as he opened the door, it slammed shut behind them. So now she's trapped in a room with this ooey-gooey pervert and a death bot. A death bot who has basically taken control of the room, the the apartment, and locked Mm -hmm. her in. Yeah, and he can't get out. He tells her that, oh, well, you have to go to the control station and do a manual override. He knows exactly how to do that. It's weird because he saw her get attacked. And that got him hard. Yeah, he was super into it. now... This is a great opportunity for me to go over and rape the fuck out of her. Yeah, or something gross. Or something, because yeah. Well, he, he does actually invite her over to his place yeah, in the gentlemanly mood. That sounds like a place he wants to go. Well, he's also been watching her for so long, and there's a few lines in there where he really lets it be known that he has developed. It's not just a 100% creeper. He has developed this warped fucking stalker relationship. Mm-hmm. And he refers to him of how long they've known each other and things like that, which mm-hmm. is just fuck. Because to her, this is the first time she's ever seen this guy. And who knows if he actually had been in her apartment and she made him coffee when he installed the system. Or if somebody else did and he saw it and he's projecting that deeply. Yeah. She doesn't remember it at all. No. But he remembers down to the detail. like Oh, yeah. Two sugars, everything. He like touches at her. He leers at her. He... Doesn't like her boyfriend. He's he like, shoulder oh. bumps her like they're pals. Yeah, he's like, huh, I don't like your boyfriend. Yeah. He's like, you need someone, uh, you need someone uh, close by, like a neighbor. <laughs> if only our viewers could see, our viewers, if only our listeners could see your face. You did that so very well. <laughs> I don't want to talk about You're it. Channeling anymore. Link. Maybe I'll call you Link. Fuck Slick. Link. No. Slick was charming. Lincoln is a fucking creep. He's so scary. Dirty gross. creep. Yeah, super gross. With this gross Hawaiian shirt and his gross shorts and his stupid Euro trash greasy ponytail. He's such a regular guy. I don't want to know the regular people you do. <laughs> he looks like people that I see on the bus all the time. He starts singing this weird song that he made up. The Wibberly Wobberly Walk? Yeah. Anyway, he he seems to be, like, her savior and also a horrible person to be trapped in the room with. And he has this, this super creepy moment where he's like, why are you afraid of me? Are you afraid of me? Like, And I'm like, ew, yes, she's fucking afraid of you, you dirty meatbag. And he is the lesser of two evils, unfortunately. He is the lesser of two evils because, although I'm not convinced he wouldn't kill her. Um, oh, no, me neither. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he would. Thank God for those gloves. Oh, yeah, he's wearing, like, those latex gloves. So he goes over to the window. There doesn't seem to be any sign of the old Mark 13. He goes over to the window because he noticed that her blinds are closed. And he kind of gives her shit. He's like, your blinds are closed. You want to see Santa, don't you? Ew. Ew. You fucking creep. He's been listening to carols and watching her get fucked all, like, for hours and whacking off over his replay, like... Yeah, he wants to see Santa. You want to see? He's like you want. She wants to see Santa. Well, he opens the door, and instantly, Mark Thirteen is there. And wow, this thing fucking grabs him, pokes his eyes out. Uh, it's got this rotating. It's like a drill bit on it almost. 
that goes right into his body, and it's just and blood it's a gouger at that. It, yeah, yeah and and blood is just going every which way. This is fucking gory, and this is for anyone interested. This movie almost got an X rating for violence. Uh, they cut a couple of things, but given what's in the movie, I can't imagine what they cut out. Well, like you had said, we had had this conversation off air that it could be something tiny. It, it could, could be. be that, you know, maybe there was a little bit too much male butt crack. Maybe. Considering the time that this was filmed. It could be blood spatter on the camera lens. That yeah. could warrant a cut. Or it could be 20 minutes of fucking it. Like classical music playing while it digs through its entrails and loops them around its neck and like licks them and smears it all over its little yeah. electronic face. Yeah, the MPAA can be a little yeah. arbitrary sometimes. Yeah. But... The deaths that we get in this movie are really good. And this is the first super violent one. Uh, Alvi, who was found dead, died of a, of a, of a lethal injection. Uh, not in the prison sense, but in the this hand has toxins in it sense. And he sort of talks us through his death, too. We get to hear more than we see. Right now is where it turns into a horror film. Absolutely. Up until this point, it wasn't quiet or sleepy by any means. It's a really, it's a great fucking movie up to this point, too. But yeah. it's more of like a gothic Romance, dystopian, cyberpunk, feature, sci-fi mm-hmm. story. And this is the first time where, and I've mentioned this, I mentioned this to you before, uh, uh, before we went, that the Mark 13, you get a, a sense of a very complicated machine because the death of Lincoln is so hateful. It's so violent. More violent than I think a machine would accomplish it's overkill there's no reason why a machine would rip your eyes out or poke your eyes out drill you and then after all that slam your head continuously on the ground that was the moment i was like all right it grabbed his face arbitrarily poking its eye out his eyes out um the only explanation is that the mark 13 hates what link has been doing yeah which is such a human thing yeah, and, and 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 we'll definitely get into like the the Mark Thirteen's motivations because it definitely it exhibits signs beyond its programming. Yeah, if you're just sitting back and watching this movie, you'll be like, "Yeah, good, the slime ball got what he wanted." But if you're yeah. sitting and watching this and trying to peel back the layers, as it were, you're right away question why? Why would the Mark Thirteen have this sentient human reaction of hate? Because, because, and I'm saying like, well, it's a machine designed to kill. Yes, it's a machine designed to kill, but it's not a machine. It accomplished that. Yeah, Yeah. it's not a machine designed to pummel dead flesh. Mm -hmm. Like, like, why wouldn't it, if it has the capability of lethally injecting something and just instantly just killing it that way. Yeah. Wouldn't it just do that? Or if it it has a buzzsaw, you can cut someone's head off. And like that's that. It's it lives de- on our energy, not flesh, too. So it has no. Re- it's not going to consume this thing. It's not going to spend time with a dead body like yeah. a, like a, a meat eating animal. No, maybe it could have just been. If it was any other director, I might just say, well, I mean, he wanted to make a horror movie and trying to make it intense and make it more interesting for the audience. And so the only reason why it's so violent and hateful is because, well, it's a horror movie and we want to up the violence. But I don't think so. No, not I, at all. I don't think that. Richard Stanley, a movie that he directed and wrote and had a lot more control over, 
I don't think that that was by accident at all. Oh, not at all. This is this is specifically designed to make you think about Mark 13's motivations and what it thinks about the things it sees. Yeah. Because right th- the first thing it does is take out the voyeur's eyes. Mm-hmm. And then it it basically manhandles him for quite some time. Yeah. And chops him up. and With like a funny little beat of the downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling. And <laughs> like, they're not even married. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Because I, I maybe there was some fucking corpse rape that was cut out. Because that's where I saw that scene him going. Oh, God. It really, really did. It really, really did. That's where you see, see every scene going. Okay, you got me. <laughs> so, Jill is now alone again. Her would-be rapist slash savior is his hamburger on the ground. And she gets the notion that it has infrared sensors. Somehow. Because its eyes are red. Its eyes are Duh. red. So she gets the notion that she can hide in the refrigerator. She's pretty smart, too. This is a girl yeah. that tears apart machines for a living and glues them back together again with yeah. Barbie dolls. So. I, it, that, that didn't jump for me. I didn't be like, well, how does she know it's got infrared sensors? It seemed... Natural. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, and, and for all I know, every fucking robot has infrared in this world. I don't know. Yeah, like, she's they, got a pretty good sense. Like, she spent some time with the head. Yeah. So, yeah, she's she's had a good look at it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would be... That wasn't a leap for me at all. Yeah. She hides in the refrigerator. It has a, a difficult time finding her. It does work. But then you see it kind of, like, reaching and trying to scare her into revealing herself like it grabs a jar and smashes it in front of her face and i was like oh it's like the t-rex in jurassic park trying to scare them into moving yeah yeah <laughs> i did and this is another one where it if you're if you're sitting here watching it thinking if you're not sitting there watching it on mushrooms and just enjoying the pretty colors yeah then it's another moment where you're thinking why doesn't it just give up if it's following its directive of kill heat points of heat that are flesh yeah um it can't see her anymore yeah it should be done it should have gone said i can't sense her and turned around and tried to find her elsewhere yeah but it's like it knows she's there and it needs to get at her mm-hmm. so it's trying everything it can to try and yeah scare her into moving mm-hmm. well the good news is is that mo is on his way and so is uh our old buddy Shade. Shade's managed to get his shit together enough. Pants on and everything. Pants on and everything. But we're encountering the same problem, which is the fact that... Or does he have his pants on? He does have his pants okay. on. It's, it's these weird silky pants. It's weird. He's got like 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 this he's got like a leather jacket or a big jacket over these really big silk pants that seem to... It's almost like... Like lounge pants or something. I don't know. It's yeah. it's the middle of the night. I'm not surprised. Something that feels good on the skin. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the problem, again, is the security system, which becomes a big component about why these people are so isolated from each other, which I thought was interesting. The methods to keep you safe is ironically what is keeping people from saving you. Yeah. So Shades is at the door, and Mo gets there moments before Shades even does. So I guess calling Shades was not as important as maybe. Yeah, he tried. He tried. Yeah, he tried. A little bugger. Um, and they eventually 
like Jill eventually gets away from the machine and as the and gets out of the apartment. And it's becoming apparent that it runs out of power. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to have a, a, a system of retaining any sort of energy. So it starts to drain energy from her household. Mm-hmm. And then the, the crack team of security guys that are in the building, they're also alerted that there's something wrong. And then when Jill gets out of her apartment and starts to run, there was a pretty big explosion, a gas leak. Yeah, right? oxy, no, she sets off her oxyacetylene tanks uh, to um, fill up the kitchen because that's where it's after her and that's where it's kind of like stalking. So as soon as she can escape that room and it's in there with the gas, she throws a burning package of cigarettes or paper or matches or whatever mm-hmm. and blows it up. Blows up just like locally her kitchen. Yeah. Does a lot of damage. She's fucked up. Um, and then the cavalry comes in. Mo, the two security guards, and Shades. And oh shit, Mark 13 is not down for the count at all. He's on fire. His his new paint job is all fucked up. But I kind of like the idea of a robot with like the American flag on his head just killing people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but, I, but I, I guess they were just like, ah, that's enough of that. And... And then they light this fucking robot up, just like mow him down with guns. Almost to the point where you're like, oh, is this, uh, we done here? I was like, that's kind of short. It's kind of anticlimactic, just all these people. Because you're, you're, cause you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, that's a lot of guys that just kind of showed up all fully armed. Yeah, the cavalry, as you put it. Yeah, yeah so I was like, oh, I guess we're just, I guess we're done here. Well, we think we're done. Jill finally gets the rescue she needs. Mo and her have a screaming argument about the machine and she's upset obviously because her kitchen's blowing up someone just tried to kill her someone was murdered in front of her and her boyfriend's been nowhere he left her that was that was the big argument the big argument that's right that she was mad that he left and he was saying no baby I'm here now. I'm here forever, or whatever the fuck. He's he he seems to be recommitting himself to them. But oh shit, the Mark Thirteen is not done yet. He's outside again, and he pulls Jill out, and then she's hanging off of a power wire. It's raining. No, it's not raining. It, it doesn't rain here in this world. Does it? No. I thought it was That's raining. the thing. Mo had had a dream that it was raining, and she was like, oh, "I wish." It's a desert landscape. It hasn't rained probably in why did I think four years? Oh, that's it, sorry. It wasn't that it was raining. It was that she was on a power line, and he has a metal hand, and he can't touch it. Yeah, because it'd fry them both. Yeah, exactly. So she's he keeps urging her to swing toward the ledge, to swing into her downstairs neighbor's window sill. Basically, is what he wants her to do, and she's just panicking, and her fingers are slipping because she's covered in blood. And she's pretty sure she's not going to make it. And she just keeps screaming for him to help her. Yeah. And there really isn't much that he can do at this point. So eventually the power line breaks and she falls into the neighbors downstairs into the window. I'm like, oh, well, that's lucky. But there's a little bit of a misdirect. And I don't know if it's just how I interpreted the scene or if it was intended to be interpreted this way. But the next time you see Jill, she is lying on the 
the dinner table of the downstairs family surrounded by glass beat the fuck up with her head to the side with like that sort of I'm dead. She and her eyes were open. So yeah, paint I, a chalk line around her. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so and the I, camera kind of pulls away in the from, way from cinematically above. you would think. Okay, this is like the soul leaving the body sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is she's definitely dead just because of the way the camera is. It's a really beautiful shot. Too. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. But I mean, that's the shot you do when someone's fucking dead. Period. Yeah. And and so I was like, oh. That I was like, oh, I was not expecting her to die, but all right. So Mo obviously thinks that she is dead, and maybe that's the point that we're supposed to share in his grief because he thinks that she's dead because she fell, and we think she's dead because we literally just saw a scene where she appeared to be dead. We're pretty sure she's dead, and yeah. and so Mo is now faced one on one with the Mark Thirteen because everyone else like. Guess went downstairs? Yeah, they went down. They, well, they, yeah, they pretty much scrambled down to see her dead body, I guess. I guess. Yeah, to see if she made it, which it's it appears that she didn't. Right. So, this Mark 13 is crazy because it can get shot a lot and take a lot of fucking damage. That's what it's designed to do. Yeah. So... Uh, Mo is convinced that he can take this fucking thing out. And he says that he's got divine protection. Indicating to his dog tags. Basically saying, I'm a fucking soldier. I can handle you. And thinks that he has defeated the Mark 13 after a fight. Except the Mark 13 injects him with poison. Ha ha, take that. Ha ha ha. (laughs) He realizes this he knows that this thing is toxic i mean for fuck's sake its head has like these awesome double syringes on the bottom of the skull it looks very insect like to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's super cool very menacing looking and he's already seen not only heard what it can do when alvi's tape recording explains it to him he saw what happened to alvi and he heard alvi's death yeah. Entirely. So he knows what's in store for him. Exactly. So he immediately tries to cut the poison out. He's been nicked on the arm. So he cuts his arm. He tries to suck out the poison. He's trying anything. And then we're treated to the trippiest fucking scene I can remember in any movie ever. And I like it because it's not, it is a little cheesy. You know, as much as I dislike drug culture films for this reason, because you can't really usually show what a drug trip is like. There's very few films oh. that can do it properly. Oh, my God. I thought I thought like it was just going to turn into like fucking 1960s, like Technicolor dancing and shit. Like yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like a scene from Hilarious House Frankenstein with the Eye on the Wolfman, and he's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. In the back of the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Igor shows up with a big eye on his chest. Yeah. All our listeners right now are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no, all our listeners are like, yup. Uh, that's what I. That's what you fear, right? When they're going to show what drugs look like. Yeah. In your brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, the 
got some like nice zoom in on Cali, some Mandelbrot going on, you know, some really typical um, drug and sci-fi culture things going on. But it's not done in a wrong way. It's done in an artistic pastiche of the things that are going on in Moe's head. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily, this is what drugs look like, kids. It's This is not even his life flashing before his eyes. This is him trying to make sense and trying to be sure, you know, am I going to make it? And they show, like, the poison going through his veins. And they show uh, what's going on in his head. And they show some of the hallucinations that he's a witness to. And they're not just, you know, groovy wall-dripping bullshit. Some of it is. But some of it is also like a gnarled hand exploding with insects. It's looking towards the Mark 13 amongst a bunch of monitors and like weird lighting where he almost looks to me, he looks like an orchestrator, like like a conductor to an orchestra, just sort of like waving his arms around while this very... Maestro sy- and a symphony. Yeah, 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 like like a very, uh, especially when there's this music playing, which is very cinematic and uh, like it's a full score, so... And so it's, it seems like that to me. There's a beautiful opera playing, actually. So oh, of yeah, course yeah, yeah. it looks much like a, um, a conductor at this point. Yeah. And it is sort of like, is he hallucinating what the Mark 13 is doing? Is the Mark 13 reveling in what he's done to this man? Or is the Mark 13 even in the room? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's fucking fucked on drugs. Because considering when he looks down at his hand a couple times, the ravaged state of it when you know that he's he's cut himself up pretty bad um by that point i think he's given up entirely now too because yeah. he does make a move to just cut his wrist suicide style yeah at that point. but his um it, it's essentially just an example of a dude's brain going haywire before it shuts down yeah although he still has a goal he's talking to jill while this is going on he's convinced jill is dead regardless mm-hmm. but he's reiterating things about his dream about the rain and linking that as best he can in his fractured mind that's dying and full of drugs that this is the way to defeat it so jill where we learn is not in fact dead she's being doted on by the two security agents shade and the family that is in the below her and she springs to life and instantly wants to go and save Mo. She knows something's wrong. Yeah, she knows the Mark 13's still up there and he's alone with it because everyone's down here. Yeah. And she keeps saying she's okay and, yeah, she needs to get to Mo. And she just basically ignores everybody that's telling her to, mm. to grabs relax. A, grabs a baseball bat. One of the security guys tries to stop her just before she goes in and cracks him in the head. Not so hard to, like, kill him, but... Like he's like, ah, she hit me, she hit me, <laughs> and then just as she enters, the Mark Thirteen activates the security doors again, and this time crushes or, or traps one of the security guys in the door, and then they try to get him out, and then the doors open again, and then they shut with authority a second time and bisect him. In one of the second most gory scenes in this film. Oh, absolutely. And then as you, the dude who got bisected, holding the gun, getting bisected, I bet hurts a lot. And so he squeezes the trigger, shoots in one of those sort of like <laughs> like Rube Gold machine, everyone's dying scenes. Like, yeah. like oh, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Um, like the second security guy just gets shot right in the head, like pop. And then 
the doors are just kind of going like in and out, in and out. Because Shades was like trying to pull the guy out from the legs and you see in slow motion like him flying backwards with just like <laughs> legs in his hands. And there's some really good blood spray. It's a very, very gory scene. Super gory. Yeah. Yeah, and the struggling and looking down at his bisected gut. Oh, yeah, you see all of his intestines are everywhere and everything. So it's it's really well done, actually. It's It's super well done. done. Mm -hmm. And in the chaos, Jill is now fighting with the Mark 13 again. Shades is on the other side of the doors, which are closing in and out rapidly. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of like the factory scene in Sonic the Hedgehog. Because the door just keeps opening and closing, and it's, he's trapped on one side and needs to time his jump if he's going to even, and you're kind of worried because you've seen what this door can do. You're kind of scared of the fucking door now. Oh, fuck yeah. It's all Metropolis Zone, baby. Yeah. Um, you have... You, 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 yeah, so Shade himself is still tripping balls. We should probably point this out. Like He seems a lot more coherent now, but he's still fucked up. And he's shouting at her from the other end of the door. It's a super tense scene. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Because now she's trapped with this machine that has resisted getting shot 50 times. Um, Resists... Being blown up. Being blown up. Resists blunt force trauma. Like, it's just like, what do you do? And I'm trapped with this person. She sees clearly that Mo is already dead. So her boyfriend's dead. The security detail made to help her are dead. Her place is ruined. Her friend Shade, who might be able to help her, is like trapped on the other side of this door that's going in and out. That yeah, can't... she can't count on him as usual. Like yeah. That's nothing new since the beginning of the film. So she can't count on anybody right now and she's alone. But she does see that it's, it's, it needs the electrical power from the house and it needs to be draining that. So she goes to the console to circumvent that. It's really the, her last resort at this point. And this is a very cool scene because she tries talking to the Mark 13. Really talking to the Mark 13. Trying to figure out what it is. What's your programming? What are you? What do you want? Yeah. And... I love that it doesn't have a voice. I it, do love that. I love so much that the way that this has been handled in this film. Wh- what you get instead is it has recorded a bunch of different things. It has recorded what Mo has said, what she has said, what Shades has said. Alvy's death. Alvy's death. The and it, song, the Wibberly Wobberly Walk song. Yeah, so it communicates this way, very intense, and you can miss a lot of what it's trying to say. She asks him flat out, are you human? And... You're not really given any kind of response. No, you get the wibberly wobbly talk song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you get some, it's just a mixed mass pastiche, and he's constantly interjecting Mo saying that he loves her, and that's basically it. Mm-hmm. The only real answer you get is because this is a kind of lengthy exchange and it's best watched after you've seen the whole film of course like we don't really want to spoil this entire thing mm-hmm. but finally it boils down to it plays back a recording of her saying right as she was hanging off that power line i want to live yes which leads me to believe that it's got a pinocchio syndrome going on it also leads me to believe that 
like the Mark 13 is I- interested in her because he's been watching her, but also is fighting with the fact that it is programmed to kill. So I do believe that the Mark 13 absolutely wants to kill her, but there's a lot of moments where it seems to want to, like, like almost like it wants an answer from her. Yeah, it, it wants to get her, capture her, hold her still for a while and watch her, just like everyone else has. And this yeah. is where I'd like to have one of those um, uh, feminist and gender culture scientists handy to answer these questions we need somebody smarter than us here amy we need amy that's what i was just gonna say we need amy here yeah (laughs) yeah we need amy uh so amy (laughs) please watch hardware and get back to us get back to us on why he needs to and what answers she could possibly provide and is it just because everyone else around her likes to hold her captive and keep her still and watch her and so like everyone is she is such a coveted woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, she obviously she's beautiful and she's young and she's got this boyfriend that that wants her and she's got this pervert across the road that wants her and all these people downstairs that are concerned about she's a her. Talented artist with insight, and she is tripping the light fantastic as often as possible, mm-hmm. like everyone else around her. Yeah. It seems except Moses. Yeah, um, and the best at surviving against the Mark Thirteen. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Because there's all these scenes, like, even when he's in bed, when she's completely asleep and unconscious, he could have killed her then. Yeah. But, and and his hand reaches to her and then stops. Like, and then she wakes up. And then as she wakes up, he he was going to deal a killing blow. To me, that seems almost like he was going to kill her. And then he, like, something was going on in the Mark 13's consciousness, if you could call it that. And then... His original programming kicked back in, and then he went for the killing strike. Yeah. That, that was what I got from that scene. And again, in this scene, this conversation where he's like, I want to live through her own voice. So Shade finally figures out the pattern of the door, in and out, in and out, in and out. <laughs> he times it and jumps through. I like that he does a, like, a little stance after he's like, Whoa! like he's pretty proud of himself. He manages to get inside the building, but not before the Mark 13 has cornered Jill in the shower and smashes her through the glass. Which is particularly unsettling-ish to me. As unsettled as I get, anyway. Oh? Uh, when me and my sister were really little, uh, really little, I think Amber was like a toddler. She was probably like, God, maybe a year old. And I was two-ish or whatever. My mom had put us both in the bathtub mm-hmm. and then gone downstairs for something. And it was in my grandmother's farmhouse. And there was a huge mirror on one side of the, the bathtub. Like the, the back wall of the bath enclosure and shower enclosure was a huge mirror. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember much about what had happened or why this happened. But all of a sudden, this entire mirror fell into the bathtub. Oh, wow. With about, you know, it was like a baby bathtub. So it was like maybe two inches of water, a little bit of soap, some toys, me and my sister. And I clearly remember, very, very clearly remember us screaming for my mom and hearing her running. Because, uh, of course, she heard the big, the big smash and her two babies screaming for her. But I clearly remember telling my sister stay 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 because she started like she was crying and she started trying to crawl out of the tub 
in if you can imagine as much broken glass as there is on the floor of the shower in the scene in hardware there was as much broken mirror um in the water like it was a huge mirror so it wasn't like a few pieces of glass floating around we were in a tub full of broken glass and soap wow which is fucking terrifying um, I still have a scar on my toe. We didn't get cut up very bad at all, miraculously. Wow. Yeah, I don't think lucky. Amber got cut at all. But there were, like, like permanently scarring cuts. There was blood. I remember there being blood on her and me because it fell right over top of us and then shattered into the tub. So every time, like, and I'm not, like, traumatized by this. Like, I do remember it very, very clearly. Um, and it's not like I see that and get, you know, as fucking weirded out as I am, say, is the needle pit in Saw. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very, that makes me very uncomfortable me to too. watch. I can watch it, but I feel very uncomfortable watching it. It doesn't squick me out that bad, but it's just like, I've been there. I've totally been there. So when she's scrambling around from this machine that's coming for her in this area that is just full as fuck with broken glass and blood, I've so totally been there. Oh, yeah. And even though I and, was and two, got... I told, I clearly, very clearly remember this. And she's barely dressed. We should point out she's not wearing shoes or anything. Yeah, bare feet and like a little kimono or whatever. Yeah, kimono. Oh, she has like little, like little pajama pants on or something. Yeah, artists wear. Yeah, she's in her artist uniform. So it's super scary. Then Shade jumps in, and he's got the gun pointed that he grabbed from the dead security guard. And she's like, he's Mark Thirteen's like inches from her face. Yeah. At this point, and now we've got a gun inches from his face. So it's a mm-hmm. super tense scene. Very, mm-hmm. very well done. And the and and she says shoot it, and shades hesitates. Yeah, almost like you would with you know if someone screamed shoot it at someone who had their gun to the head of a child. Mm-hmm. He finally does. She uses that opportunity to turn on the shower. And a very hot shower. And it starts to rain down on this machine. And that fucks it up. As we know, it's weakness. Humidity. It's only weakness. It's humidity. And she had sort of gleaned this piecemeal through the things that it was replaying when she was questioning it. Yeah. And as it dies, it's it like sparks and it's got a beautiful death scene. Yeah. It's a beautiful machine. Yeah, it's very cool looking, and this is the best view you get of it because it's a, it's a it's a white room with good lighting. Like everyone's bathroom always has like the most lighting of any room, right? It's one of the best scenes you get of Jill, even because everything is kind of dark-ish or blue or mostly red yeah, lighting red, in this. A lot, a lot of, red, of red until this point where it is stark white bathroom, sterile-ish. Well, it's still filthy, but everything is lit very very clearly very crisp yeah um so while she is still reeling from this thing's death shades has a really good line where he's repeating it's gone it's off it's fried now it's fried and the last line he says is it's dead he totally struggles with the terminology of how to get it through her head that it's over and she's won with going through these things that aren't making sense to him either of saying it's off now and it doesn't seem to fit and it's fried now. It doesn't seem to fit. 
it's done now. It doesn't seem to fit because he's referring to this machine, machine, machine. It's not until he refers it to refer. It's not until he refers to it as a more human thing of being dead. It's dead. Yeah. That is basically the last spoken line in the film outside of some angry Bob. So angry Bob uh, peels back up over the radio while we're just about done the flick. And he says that, oh, good news. The government is going to start mass production of the Mark 13. It's going to create a bunch of new jobs. So get your unemployed asses down to feral technology. Yeah. Perfect name for a company. Yeah, I was whatever, say feral. feral. <laughs> yeah. Which is cool because he starts out with good news. At the very beginning, he says, and the good news is there's no fucking good news. And it's <laughs> kind of true. That is not fucking good news. That is fucking horrible news. It's true. That scene, that final scene indicating that, okay, so this very isolated story about the Mark 13 prototype coming to life doing its programming and arbitrarily killing people because that was what jill's big concern was she's she says it doesn't care who it kills it's not there's no rhyme or reason for it it just kills it kills humans that's what this machine does and now the government is fine with that apparently they're like no no, this is this is fine (laughs) that's not the glitch in its hardware that's not the glitch the glitch is that it has a weakness the thermal weakness the humidity weakness. The glitch mm-hmm. isn't that it kills people. No, killing people is exactly what it's supposed to be doing. And like, there's probably people watching this thinking that that is the glitch. And like, it's not so bad that they're creating 800 jobs by creating more Mark 13s because they're going to fix that, right? No. Yeah. That's not what the glitch is. It fits so perfectly in this shadowy government that they've presented us because it's a government that's all about population control and it's a government that has let the world spiral out of control. And so, sure. Treats we'll, humans as widgets. Yeah, there's point. there's so, some yeah. kind of war, massive war going on that we're not really given too many details on. So this could just be another form of population con- uh, population control or whatever. But yeah, the Mark 13 works perfectly. Just don't get her wet. <laughs> <laughs> Until they have redesigned this new Mark Three, which should technically be the Mark Fourteen, really. Really. But I like the name Mark Thirteen. <laughs> I do. It works. It definitely works, especially with all this biblical, um, especially with all of the biblical nuances that are thrown in throughout. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it really is. So I really like Richard Stanley's mind and the way it works, and I really wish that he would have been given a little more room to roam. A longer leash, maybe, and if Island of Dr. Moreau would have ever been made, then who knows what he would have been able to do after that. Because that's a huge blow to somebody's ego. Mm. And it really, he was already disenfranchised with the system as it is, the Hollywood system, already, clearly. And then that just drove it home and drove him away mm. from filmmaking. Until now. Until now, yeah. Yeah. So we shall see. We shall. You know what else we shall see? Mm-hmm. The next episode of the Dead Air Podcast is coming in hot. Oh, God, is it ever hot. <laughs> with burnt offerings. Yum, yum, yum. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. I like how we go from, like, um, the Mark 13 being burnt over and over and over again and it not working and him dying by water. And then we're going into burnt offerings. Yeah. Some barbecue. I don't know if you'd want to eat a barbecued Mark 13, though. No, but he looks pretty hot after he's been barbecued. 
He's a pretty sleek machine, this Mark 13. There's nothing edible on him. Thank God. <laughs> Except that weird gougy drill bit thing they have positioned. He has positioned. Wait a second. I called height. that thing phallic when we were record- before we recorded. And you're just like, that's not phallic. No, no, I did call it phallic. That's why I oh. laughed my ass off when she hit it off with a baseball bat. Oh. Well, then why is it edible? Oh. <laughs> I like to see the wheels turning. I like to see the wheels turning. That's why we do this, Wes, just so I can see the wheels turning. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.